Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you as we continue our run through a lot of the big-time schools with all their college prospects heading into the 2020 NFL Draft. And today we welcome in Mark Weiser, who covers the Georgia Bulldogs for the Athens Banner Herald. Mark, you got John Schmoke and Lance Meadow in a couple different locations in and around New York City. Uh, I hope you and your family and everybody around you is uh, healthy and, and doing well in these really odd times. Yeah, good to be with you guys. Uh, doing well. I hope uh, you guys and your listeners are as well. Yeah, we are, Mark. Thank you very much. Uh, and I guess we should start with the guy that's been talked a lot about with the New York football giants this year. They might be have a lot of interest in an offensive lineman. And of course, one of the best is coming out of Georgia this year, left tackle Andrew Thomas. And I probably watched him play four or five games. One of them was the game against LSU where he basically shut down Caleb on chase on. And when I watch him, I just see a guy that is so reliable and you know what you're going to get. You watched him for years at Georgia. Uh, tell giant fans if they do draft an Andrew Thomas, what they would be getting in him as a player and as a person. Yeah, I mean, when he came to Georgia, you already heard a lot of buzz about him uh, that first summer in preseason camp. Uh, you know, he, he Georgia's recruited very well the last several years, top three type recruiting classes, and he was, uh, you know, not necessarily as highly rated as some of the guys that, that came in on that class. I mean, he, he was a four-star, I think, uh, but, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily uh, the highest rated offensive line guy that they they had coming in, but he automatically uh, won a starting job, uh, you know, right out of the gate in, in 2017, uh, became a freshman All-American uh, as a right tackle, and then they moved him uh, to left tackle in 2018 after Isaiah Wynn, the first-round draft pick uh, for the New England Patriots, uh, you know, was drafted. So um, he's been pretty much the anchor, the the, uh, the bell cow on this offensive line, um, and uh, Sam Pittman, uh, who's now the Arkansas head coach, uh, was the guy that assembled all that talent. And uh, you know, really developed Thomas, uh, who came from a high school in Atlanta, Pace Academy, uh, that had a guy that played in the NFL and Chris Slade as the head coach. So, uh, got really good coaching, uh, you know, in high school even, and then uh, just continued to develop at Georgia and, and pretty much uh, you know became the All American uh, and, and the guy that, that really is a top fifteen type draft pick. Mark, you mentioned he started off as a freshman right tackle, and the last two seasons he played left tackle. In terms of his outlook at the next level, I'm sure a lot of people haven't projected at a left tackle, but do you see him as interchangeable on either side of the offensive line at the NFL level based on what he did in college? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, you know, I don't know exactly what, what the Giants' needs are there in terms of, you know, how they might plug him in. The, uh, but, you know, you hear some of the guys that really break down the, the film talk about, you know, maybe uh, technique-wise uh, he has some, some areas he can get better at. So, you know, whether they think that's going to be uh, something on the right side, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily as the uh, the main, uh, you know, Bell Cow on the offensive line that, that maybe to, to work him in at that spot. But, uh, you know, uh, 6 5 3 20 was when he was lifted when he was at Georgia and, uh, you know, has all the tools. Pretty, you know, only three years, uh, obviously, uh, at Georgia, but, um, uh, you know, obviously tons of upside. Where do you think you've seen him improve the most, Mark, over his three years there? Uh, you know, probably um, just being. Uh, 
kind of the intangible leader of that line. I mean, uh, he, he was very well-spoken, uh, always came out. Kirby Smart, you know, is very selective on who he wants to come talk to the media, uh, and he was one of those guys that was the face of the program. And, you know, you don't always see that on, as for offensive linemen, but, but you, you kind of do it, Georgia. I mean, what David Andrews was that way as a center who ended up starting for the Patriots, uh, you know, for Tom Brady um, there for the last several years, and uh, they've had other guys. Um, you know, Georgia really hasn't developed – uh, until the last several years, guys that have been early round draft picks, but uh, Thomas will be one this year. You know, maybe Isaiah Wilson in, in the first couple rounds, and then they have a lot of guys in the program that are probably uh, in future drafts. They're going to be in that realm. Obviously, when it comes to evaluating offensive linemen, Mark, you really want to pay close tabs on what they do on the field. But having been around him over the last three years, Andrew Thomas, I mean, what jumps out to you about his locker room presence and how his teammates take to him, given the fact that he's been a veteran leader with Georgia for the last few seasons. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's pretty impeccable in terms of, uh, you know, no off-field issues whatsoever and, um, you know, wouldn't put up any bulletin board material that, you know, would, would kind of uh, make a coach cringe, that kind of thing. He might not be the best quote for a reporter uh, to, you know, to get the most uh, raw and, and honest take, but um, in terms of being a team guy, very well respected on both sides of the ball. Would you consider him, and I know it's tough with an offensive lineman to call anyone that plays that position a finesse player, but would you consider him more of a technique guy, a finesse guy, a mauler? How would you kind of classify his game as an offensive lineman out there at left tackle? Yeah, I wouldn't say he's a mauler. I think Isaiah Wilson on the other side, uh, who was George's right tackle the last couple of years, a guy out of Brooklyn, actually. Um, you know, he, he's more of the six seven three forty mauler, you know, road grader type guy. Thomas probably uh, does things the right way, uh, you know, in terms of the way they teach him to do it, and um, that's why he's so effective, um, you know, making the most of, of what he does have uh, ability-wise. Mark, you brought up Isaiah Wilson. John and I certainly very happy to hear he's a Brooklyn native, considering the both of us are Brooklyn natives. So it seems to be a small world. I saw he's a product of Poly Prep, a school I know quite well. That's okay. Only two seasons of college football experience, which is a rather small sample size. But you look at his frame, six six three fifty. That's quite the presence. Other than him being a mauler, as you noted, I mean, what else jumps out to you about him that he could translate that to the next level on the NFL side? I mean, he's the guy walking off the bus that, that you know, just looks the part and, uh, you know, long-armed guy that, that really, uh, you know, on the edge really can uh, just hold off guys, uh, you know, the edge rush type guys. And um, I talked to him some somewhere down the end of his, uh, I guess it was his redshirt sophomore season because that's when he came out after he redshirted as a, as a true freshman when, before the uh, the rule change that allowed a guy to play four games and still take a red shirt. So they he didn't play it all that year. A little out of shape coming up from New York and uh, dealing with the, the Georgia heat in the summer. Uh, but he uh, he actually grew up a Jets fan. I'm sure if he, if the Giants ended up taking him, uh, he, would, he, would, he would quickly uh, quickly learn which side to be on that in that way. But um, uh, guy that was really developing and some of the NFL um, you know. Uh, analysts think he came out too early, but uh, he must have had a good combine because I've seen on some of their mock drafts he's he's risen up. Uh, yeah, I think Kuiper had him like uh, the number eight offensive tackle now, so he, he obviously impressed at Indy. Um, and uh, you know, as you mentioned, only two seasons, so he certainly has even a, a probably a bigger ceiling than a guy like Thomas. Well, yeah, Mark. Whenever you have a guy walking around that 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 is that size, it's certainly going to draw interest of teams in the NFL. And the one word I have heard mentioned with him, redshirt sophomore, is raw. 
And you mentioned, you know, coming in from a New York City program, and Lance and I love Brooklyn, we love New York City, but, you know, it's also not Texas or Florida when it comes to developing college football players. It just isn't. So where do you think he's still a little bit raw and he still needs to develop his game? Yeah, I I would think probably, I mean, if he's only put at Georgia at right tackle, uh, you know, getting a chance to, to maybe show a little bit more versatility. Um, and maybe he'll just be a right tackle in the NFL. I'm not sure. But um, uh, just game experience, I would think, um, you know, and, and maybe uh, uh, more in, in the pass protection as, as opposed to just a run uh, guy in the, in the run blocking schemes. But, um, uh, you know, he's uh, definitely, uh, despite, you know, he played in the SEC as a starter for two seasons. So that says something and, and uh, was very durable, didn't, uh, you know, have injuries that kept him out for long stretches. So uh, in that regard, uh, those are pluses. As far as the rest of their offensive line group, Solomon Kinley, I know, is another guy that they have. Uh, you had mentioned it's you know unforeseen at this point in terms of how many offensive linemen for Georgia could be taken. What's the upside with him? I know he's described as a very tough guard, but some people were maybe a little bit surprised that he actually decided to leave for the NFL. Yeah, he was a redshirt junior, so um, it, it sort of made sense because I don't know necessarily that his stock would would be uh, rising that much higher. Um, you know, he, he came in. Uh, he was a three-star product out of out of Jacksonville, so uh, very unheralded. It was a late, uh, you know, right before signing day. His uh, the year he, he signed, where uh, Georgia went in on him and um, you know, added him to the class. And um, he was the kind of guy that people always wondered. You know, would one of the guys coming in behind him, a higher-rated prospect, beat him out, and would he become a backup? But he never lost, uh, you know, his starting job. And, and he dealt with an injury last year that probably. Uh, Kept him from being as as in condition uh, as he uh, wanted to be, and and you know conditioning would will be an issue for him to to keep on the pounds and and be uh, what coaches want him to be in terms of uh, size and weight. Um, but but he was he graded out very well, especially uh, you know for, for a guy that I mentioned um, you know, didn't come in as heralded as, as some of the other guys. I want to stick in the offensive side of the ball here instead of talking about a player, Mark. Georgia's system. Watching it, it seems much more like a pro system, which I would, which I would think makes a lot of these guys on the offensive side of the ball more pro ready to to take on the challenges of being in the NFL. How would you classify Georgia's offense in terms of the type of offense that they ran there with the Bulldogs? Yeah, that's what I'd say. Um, it's evolving. Um, they've had a lot of coordinators in the last five years. I mean, they went from Mike Bobo, who uh, left to become the head coach at Colorado State and now is at South Carolina after five seasons there, to uh, Brian Schottenheimer, who was obviously the Seahawks offensive coordinator the last couple years. Jim Chaney uh, came in with, with Kirby Smart and then left for Tennessee. And then last year they promoted James Coley, and after one year, uh, you know the offense was not what Georgia uh, thought it should be, was not what Kirby Smart the fans thought it should be. So that they made a move there, and, and they brought in Todd Munkin, who was the Cleveland Browns offensive coordinator last year, and the play caller in Tampa Bay the year before that. Um, so the offense, the expectation is going to open up more. It's going to become more of a passing attack. Um, you know, obviously Georgia's got a lot of talent at running back. They've turned out Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know how they balance that, wanting to open up the offense like an LSU, uh, like an Alabama, and, and still be a very effective, uh, you know, running team. Well, Mark, I'm glad you ran through the list of running backs because you're 100% right. It really has been amazing. Some of the guys that have recently come out of the program and DeAndre Swift, who probably tops the list in this year's group, 
he had to sit behind Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle when the two of them were there. But, you know, since then, sophomore year leads Georgia in rushing. Another impressive campaign this past season. How does he differ from a Chubb and Michelle who came out recently? And where do you think he ranks in terms of potential with respect to those two guys? It's going to be interesting to see him translate to the next level. I think he's a better um, guy coming out of the backfield catching the ball than, than those two guys. Now, Sonny Michelle probably has the same skill set, but maybe they didn't utilize him uh, to that level. Um, you know, and, and maybe um, you know, Swift, obviously, uh, he can be a big home run uh, threat as well when he's healthy. Now, he's uh, very healthy uh, at times last season, especially down the stretch where, where uh, he had to leave the Georgia Tech game, uh, played very limited in the SEC championship game, and then basically played an emergency duty uh, in the Sugar Bowl, and, and there was a big question whether he would even play in the game. Now, he was probably, to a certain extent, protecting his draft status, where he's a uh, maybe a first-round pick. Some people now have him going early in the second round. Uh, but he has all the tools of those guys in terms of a guy that you could see uh, as a franchise-type running back. Um, you know, obviously with, with Todd Gurley, that was about what five seasons now. He's moved on from the Rams to the Falcons, so uh, it's a short shelf life for guys uh, like these, like this in the NFL. And um, he's ready after three seasons to, uh, to to make that jump and, and start that clock. What were some of those injuries, Mark? Anything that could be considered chronic, or are these just kind of one-offs? Once he got over them, he's fine because, quite frankly, he performed really well at the combine, so he's clearly not hurt anymore. But uh, are those injuries that that kind of raise red flags for you in terms of something NFL? teams might be worried about long term it was a shoulder down the stretch last year um and um you know i'm sure that at indy they they did the the medicals on him uh and but you know obviously a team that's going to draft him probably would have brought him in um for further evaluation um you know if they're going to be using a first round draft pick on him and i'm not sure um you know in this day and age now uh how that will work out with um you know them being able to do that kind of evaluation in, in person um, on him, uh, but he, he's had some other injuries that, that bothered him. Um, you know, I think it was a groin injury. He had an off-season surgery uh, a, a year or two ago as well, so um, it's been an issue. I mean, I, I think durability would be a question for him, but, but um, you know, when he's on the field and, and when he's close to 100%, uh, he's very effective. Mark, how much of a concern is ball security? Because his rate in terms of fumbles versus carries is fairly on the high side. How much at all did that come up as an issue from the coaching staff's perspective while he's been at Georgia? Uh, I think it was the Sugar Bowl the year before Georgia played back-to-back Sugar Bowls, where, where that was the uh, you know that was the one game that, that stood out uh, against Texas when Georgia was upset in that game and. Uh, you know, Georgia was uh, had a chance to make the playoff for a second straight year and, and uh, lost uh, to Alabama in the SEC championship game. So, you know, the team really probably wasn't as invested in that game as, as they should have been, and that was a game in particular that, that uh, um, you know, w- was one of the ones where he had, it was a bugaboo for him. But uh, I don't think necessarily that it's a, a big issue that in my mind for him. Last one on Swift before Lance can jump over to Jake Fromm. His size and measurements is very interesting to me because you watch him on TV, on TV copy, and even game film, you're like, oh, he looks you know, pretty well, thick running back. He could take some hits. He's elusive. Get him outside, all that stuff. Then you see him in person, and you're like, wow, he's only 5'8"? Then you're like, whoa, but he's 212 pounds. So to me, he almost has that almost Maurice Jones-Drew-type build where he's not tall, but with that weight, he's just really, really thick, which makes him strong, tough to tackle, 
And then you mentioned his explosiveness. So to me, I'm not sure there's much he can't do. Yeah, I think that explosiveness uh, is definitely the difference maker for him in terms of hitting the hole and, and getting outside. And, uh, you know, if he didn't have that, and, and I'm sure you saw at the combine how uh, they put Swift and uh, Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle's 40 times with uh, the, the tape from previous years, and Swift, uh, you know, beat them to the. Uh, to the 40-yard uh, end line, he, he was faster than them. So, um, you know, I think uh, what he can bring in athleticism and, and quickness and speed uh, probably will, will help out if there's questions about his size. Mark, before we actually get to Jake Fromm, I know they have another running back, uh, Brian Herrian, who pretty much has been a career backup, unfortunately, because there's so much talent in front of him. But he has been a return man and it seems as if he has the ability to catch the ball on the backfield as a receiver, sort of a jack-of-all-trades. What do you see perhaps his upside at all? Because, you know, sometimes I feel these sneaky, elusive guys fall under the radar, and then sometimes they find a way to carve out a role on the NFL level. Yeah, he definitely could be in that boat. Um, you know, probably a situation with him is that he came to a school uh, where there's so much talent at that position, but um, well-respected by the coaches. They they found a way to use him even early in games, even when they had guys like Chubb and Michelle uh, and Swift uh, there. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, definitely has the ability as a pass catcher, um, you know, to uh, to be a threat in that regard. Um, you know, had over 100 yards receiving last year, like a 9.2 average per catch so um i think he'd definitely be a day three guy that that will intrigue some teams we're joined by mark weiser covers the georgia bulldogs for the athens banner herald just mark want to touch on a few more guys here and Fromm is obviously somebody that's led georgia to a ton of wins the last three years and i'm sure you're tired of being asked about his arm strength but that's the same question nfl teams are asking and he's had to compete and beat out some really good quarterbacks at georgia and and he's done it time and time again so when you take a look at Fromm, do you think he has that raw arm talent to hold people off, claim a starting job, and hold on to it in the NFL the same way he did at Georgia? It'll be interesting. Um, you know, it's going to depend on, on if, if there's a, a role for him on a team that really needs a quarterback, uh, where where it will be in the draft that they want to take a flyer on him. Uh, but, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, Jacob Beeson uh, is here when he arrives on campus uh, in 2000. Um, and 17, and, um, you know, Fromm fills in for Eason in the third series of the first game of that year when, when Eason goes out uh, with a knee injury and never loses the job and just, you know, keeps winning and winning, gets Georgia to uh, an SEC championship, uh, to the Rose Bowl, and then almost wins a national championship as a true freshman. And then the following year, Justin Fields comes in, um, and, and from hold them off as well, kind of a, an un, uneasy situation where coaches try to get Fields uh, work behind him, and uh, you know Fields was not ready to do what he did at Ohio State last year, uh, his first year at Georgia, and, and so Fromm shows that it says something about Fromm's competitiveness and his ability to kind of you know hold those guys back. Um, you know he doesn't have the arm strength that, that Jacob Eason had, and, and if he saw those guys throw one after another at the combine, that was pretty obvious. But he gets the ball into some tight windows. Um, you know, he obviously uh, has a great record in terms of wins and losses at Georgia, and you know, very well liked by by the locker room uh, and by the fan base. Um, but you know, whether he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, I mean, some people are, you know, look at Aaron Murray at Georgia, and he was a big winner as well. Didn't get him to a uh, to a championship game on the national level. Um, but got him to uh, a couple of SEC championship games and, and 
Aaron Murray hadn't taken a snap in the NFL. So um, there's uh, these decision makers in the NFL have, have uh, you know, will be looking to form closely, and uh, I'm sure he'll be on a roster and you know have a chance to to be a backup if not a starter right away, depending on on you know when teams want to pull the trigger. Mark, while most question the arm strength, the thing that jumped out to me when I was looking at him and also his stats is he had his lowest completion percentage this past season, and he had a five-game stretch where he failed to get to even 50% completion percentage during the course of that span. Now, sometimes when you look at completion percentage, that may be a reflection of deflected passes, wide receivers dropping footballs. What do you attribute to why the completion percentage was down this year and why he had that rough stretch? There's probably three uh, reasons. One of them would be um, the coordinator change, where where James Coley took over for Jim Chaney. Now Coley uh, was the quarterbacks coach uh, for from the last two seasons, um, but you know it was a different offense. And then the, the second part of that would be the wide receiver core was just decimated. Uh, they lost Riley Ridley to the NFL. Um, they lost Terry Godwin, uh, who was a, a senior. Um, they lost another uh, early entry guy to the NFL, and they also lost J.J. Holloman, who was their leading uh, returning receiver who had uh, a disciplinary issue where he had to get kicked off the team uh, last June, right before, you know, a couple months before preseason camp. So uh, it was totally wiped out in terms of guys coming back. Um, they brought they recruited well. George Pickens is probably an NFL first round pick in, in a couple of years, and then Don Blaylock, another freshman, and they brought in Lawrence Cager from Miami as a grad transfer. So they had some talent around, but it was an adjustment period. And then the third part of it was there was a couple of bad weather games, one in particular uh, where it was pouring rain, and and Fromm just had a hard time holding onto the ball. There was you know obviously at the NFL there was talk about Fromm's hand size, and so maybe uh, in bad weather games. You know, maybe you don't want to draft him if you're Green Bay or, or, or a team that's going to be playing in a lot of cold weather or that kind of thing. But, um, you know, those all those three things combined, and, and he, he just didn't uh, – he had a rough stretch down the stretch uh, of his uh, junior season. And, um, you know, that's that performance, uh, when you turn on the film, is going to be concerning. But, you know, people say that he when he gets with teams and, and has these draft meetings that he's going to wow them and has wowed them with what he does in the film room and what he does, you know, understanding an offense. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we can actually do any of these draft meetings, given, as you mentioned previously, Mark, uh, what's going on now with travel and, and gathering and things like that. Final player I want to ask you about is J.R. Reed, the safety. Uh, is he more of a box safety? Is he a guy that you want back there covering at the top of the defense? Uh, how did they use him mostly in their defense in Georgia, Mark? He can be a ball hawk. I mean, he's definitely a guy that's around the ball a lot, and, and uh, you know whether it's a fumble recovery, uh, you know, can, can pick off uh, the ball as well. I mean, he has good ball skills. Uh, I don't know if you necessarily want him on an island matching up uh, against uh, you know some of the, t- the top wideouts. Uh, you know, obviously uh, in spread offenses, uh, he could be in that situation. But um, definitely a guy that I mean, he came in as a as a transfer from Tulsa, very unheralded at a high school in Texas, and uh, has an NFL background. His father, uh, Jake Reed, played in the NFL. Uh, so um, you know, probably uh, a guy that that you want in your locker room and and want on your team, whether he's a starter or a special teams guy. Uh, I'm not sure, but um, you know, he's definitely a guy that you know, probably one of the the leaders on on defense, and definitely uh, kind of when you talk about Georgia's defense, they had so many guys that they played. Um, there wasn't really one star in particular, but but he was one of them. If you had to pick someone. Mark, based on that NFL pedigree that you mentioned in terms of his uh, father and uncle playing in the league, 
is it safe to say that while he may not be the most athletic safety, perhaps what he lacks in athleticism, he makes up in knowledge and just his intellect when it comes to the X's and O's? Definitely a very savvy guy. Um, you know, I know him and uh, Monty Rice, another uh, guy that was one of the leaders on defense. They were always uh, in on in the film room doing extra studies on Mondays and Wednesdays during the week, and um, really could understand and explain to teammates what, what the scheme and what the game plan was. So, so in that regard, uh, definitely he's, he's one of the guys that, that you would count on for that. Mark, before you say goodbye, anybody that we missed that you think is coming out from Georgia that we really should pay attention to that, that could be a really effective player in the NFL that maybe all these draft analysts could be sleeping on? A couple guys. I mean, Tyler Clark was uh, a guy that didn't get a combine invite but uh, flashed as, uh, on the defensive line. Um, you know, Georgia did not have a pro day. It was supposed to be uh, last week, and, uh, you know, spring practice got canceled. Pro day got canceled. Um, so he was a guy that um, in particular needed a chance to, to get in front of scouts in, in, in a, uh, a venue like that, and it didn't happen. Uh, actually, Joe Judge was supposed to come to, to Georgia as uh, a featured speaker at their coaches' clinic, which would have been this week, I think. Huh. Um, so, so that got wiped out as well. Judge uh, and Kirby Smart worked together at Alabama, so they had a, a prior relationship. And the other guy, I would say, um, you know, if uh, a specialist is going to get drafted, and there's a handful of those kind of guys now, is, is Rodrigo Blankenship, uh, the, the kicker. He won the uh, Lou Groza Award. Uh, it's not going to surprise me if a team takes a flyer on him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, something like that. Um, you know, set all kinds of records at Georgia and um, a fan favorite, kind of a, uh, a folk hero. He, he wears uh, sport goggles and uh, has a, an effervescent personality and probably the biggest uh, uh, cheers uh, pregame introductions go to Rodrigo, even over Jake Fromm. So uh, big <laughs> leg and, and pretty consistent. Mark, go ahead. I just wanted to ask uh, Mark yeah, one ahead. quick question unrelated to the prospects this year. Mark, when the Giants take players from – the schools of the reporters we have on, I, I just, it's always interesting to hear their feedback in terms of whether they were paying attention or not. DeAndre Baker, who obviously the Giants moved up to grab in the first round last year, who I'm sure you know very well from covering the team. I don't know how close you kept up in what he did on the NFL level, but you know it's fair to say he got off to a slow start and improved in the second half of the season. Based on what you thought expectation-wise of him coming out of college, you know, where do you think his ceiling is as he enters his early stages of his NFL career still? Yeah, truthfully, I didn't see enough of uh, the Giants and Baker to, to kind of uh, evaluate that. I, mean, I do think he's a guy that I expect to, you know, to stick around and, and be a productive NFL player. And, um, you know, I guess left after his, his uh, actually, I'm trying to remember even if he was a senior or junior. I guess he was a senior. He came back maybe. Uh, so, um, you know, he, he, I expect him to develop and, and, and be better than, uh, you know, at, at Georgia, they didn't really, uh, especially his last year, uh, teams didn't really throw his way that much because they respected him yeah. so much. So maybe he was under fire more uh, in terms of uh, teams targeting him, that kind of thing. But, um, uh, look, he's got, I guess, one of uh, Georgia's former defensive coaches just joined your staff. Kevin Shearer was uh, was here when he was uh, a defensive. He coached uh, the outside linebackers at Georgia. He's now an inside linebackers coach, I guess, with the Giants. But um, Baker, uh, I mean, I guess as a first-round pick, you, you need to perform right away. So uh, I imagine he, uh, you know, probably not having the chance to do it uh, up in that way. But back at, back home in Florida, I would assume he'd be uh, working out on his own to, to get ready for a better year, too. Yeah, Mark, I don't want to put you on the spot. Um, did Shearer coach Lorenzo Carter at Georgia? 
did did those two guys cross yeah. paths or no? Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, Sher was the outside linebackers coach when when Carter was here and and very popular, um, and um, actually was on staff here at Georgia when when Jeremy Pruitt was here. Uh, who's now the Tennessee head coach? So uh, he stayed uh, with Kirby for a year, then went up and, and worked under Pruitt at Tennessee, and then uh, obviously another guy that had Alabama ties with Judge. So he came uh, up to the Giants uh, to, to work with Judge. But definitely uh, um, Kevin Shearer and Lorenzo Carter were, were uh, working together in the same meeting room. Always interesting to figure out these connections. There's so many of them, especially in these college football programs. It's impossible to keep track of them. Mark, we really appreciate the time, man. Thank you, my friend. Stay safe. Um, best of luck to you and your family as we try to get through this together. And hopefully we'll all be, have a chance to cover football uh, coming up soon, okay? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yeah, sounds good. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Great stuff. That is Mark Weiser, covers the Georgia Bulldogs. The beat writer for the Athens Banner Herald. Excellent job by him, Lance, talking about some of those prospects. And I was trying to figure out the connection with Shearer to Judge, and there it is. Yeah, it's a small world. And you <laughs> see the Georgia connection now within the framework of, of Alabama the staff because yeah. he coached Lorenzo Carter and obviously DeAndre Baker is now also entering year number two. So the Giants have a track record, you know, not to say that they're going to definitely take a Georgia player this year, but over the last few years, they have taken a Georgia player. So, you know, I think this is always an interesting class to pay close tabs on based on what we've seen in recent history with the team. Well, we've talked about, too, and I kind of want to pivot to the draft a little bit today because we talked so much about free agency, Lance, and we've spoken a lot about uh, at the combine when Paul and I were on that obviously when the Giants go and evaluate these offensive tackles and who knows if that's going to be their pick in the first round or not, but when they make that evaluation, especially now since you're not going to have pro days, you might not have your you know visits coming to your facility. You have to do things you know over Zoom or Skype or however these teams are going to figure these things out. You know, having these connections to get a feel for these guys is going to be so important. And Paul and I at the Combine talked about Jedrick Wills in Alabama with Nick Saban, that the Giants, through Joe Judge's connection with Nick Saban, should really be able to get a good feel for the type of player that Jedrick Wills is. Well, given his connection to Kirby Smart that we learn more about today, he should be able to get a really nice feel for Andrew Thomas as well when the Giants go and make those decisions as to which player they would rather have at that position. There's a couple other guys too, but you know you can watch tape all you want, but when you're drafting players, you're also trying to figure out how they're going to handle the NFL as a person, as a man, what type of locker room influence they're going to be. And that's where these connections with these college programs are really going to come in handy. Well, Kirby Smart was at Alabama from 2007 to 2015. So he crossed paths with Joe Judge at Alabama when he worked under Saban. And I think this year, unlike any other year, when you have previous established connections to college coaches, it's extremely valuable because, to your point, if you're not going to have the ability to bring in these prospects to your facility, have those face-to-face meetings, maybe get as much read up on the medical as you would like because, you know, keep in mind – 
there was a statement released a, a few days ago where you know most of the team physicians have said they're now turning their focus to society as a whole, which is understandable because of the conditions of the country, and they would think that their skill sets would be better used at local hospitals as opposed to checking out free agents and prospects. So you're not even having the access to the medical teams now anymore, yep. John, that you would under normal circumstances. So that's more of a reason why if you're Joe Judge and you could pick up the phone and talk to Kirby Smart, talk to Nick Saban, and just get their perspective on if a guy had off-season surgery or he battled an injury as a senior, how's he holding up? What do you think of him? I mean, that to me, I think, is a great leg up over some of the other teams that may not have those established connections with the coaching staffs. Yeah, remember, a big part of Joe Judge's assistant coaching staff, too, came from the college ranks. So yeah. those guys certainly have connections all across college football, and that's something that they can obviously use to the Giants' benefit as they try to get the best evaluation as possible with these college prospects. And as far as we know, the NFL is full bore ahead here, Lance, that they're going to try to do the draft um, as previously scheduled, April 23rd to the 25th. That's when it's supposed to happen. The plan is for that to continue uh, to be the case. And it's going to be different because these teams are going to be going about their business here without pro days, without the visits to the facility. So there won't be quite as much information as they usually have, which to me at least makes the job that their scouts did over the course of the season that much more important because you can't get that additional face-to-face information or at least not in the same way. Again, maybe you can do it electronically over distance and things like that, but it's still not a visit to your facility. So I think the work your scouts did now over the course of the season and the last couple of months becomes even more important. And I would say it should always be of the utmost importance, that segment of the evaluation process, given the fact that these are the guys that actually went out, saw regular season games, and probably had the most interaction with these players during the course of the regular season. I mean, that to me should always hold much more weight regardless of the circumstances. But given the current climate, I think you're going to lean a lot more heavily on the scout who looked over the player that you're considering drafting, whether it be high or any other round. I also think it was extremely beneficial that the Combine was able to get done, John, before, obviously, we had facilities shutting down and travel restrictions because can you imagine if the Combine didn't even happen, especially some of these fringe players who make a name for themselves because of what they do in the 40-yard dash or the vertical jump, they get notoriety because maybe they didn't jump off the film. So, you know, thank goodness for the sake of the teams and the prospects, they at least got the combine in. I think it's unfortunate that most of these teams are not going to have pro days, but to me, at least that's a smaller sacrifice compared to what at least we already checked off on the calendar and the senior bowl occurred too, which I think is another area where executives from across the league can come, can see these kids up close and personal in a practice setting, which is led by NFL coaching staff. So I think, you know, when we put things in a big picture perspective, perspective, we're at least fortunate that for the sake of the NFL draft process, those two major events in addition to the regular season analysis did already take place. And Lance, I wonder, and again, this is just uh, speculating at this point because we don't know, it didn't happen, but I I bet you if the Combine and Senior Bowl, but especially the Combine because of the medical part of that and the fact that teams can meet with these players, so they've already had two opportunities to meet with players. You can do that at the Senior Bowl. You can meet with the players there, and you can meet with them at the Combine. If especially the Combine didn't happen, going through with this process, I think, would be a lot more difficult because you wouldn't have then 
um, any of the athletic testing to, to at least judge these guys on in any medical reports, at least you have a baseline here to work off. And yeah, oh, there's some guys that, you know, didn't work out at the combine that now you have some questions about. Sure, maybe. But at least for the majority of the players that you might draft, you have those meetings at the combine. You have the athletic testing that can at least help you make as an informed decision as possible. Well, it's interesting you brought up just the setup of the combine because, you know, I wonder, and this is, again, just me speculating, we do see, you're right, a lot of players that decide, the reason I'm not going to take part in the events of the combine is because I'd rather do it at my pro day when I'm much more comfortable, it's in my own setting, and if I'm a quarterback, for example, John, I get to throw to wide receivers that know all about the scheme and we've already built chemistry with. So if you're an agent, you know, you may have been telling your client, especially if he's a quarterback, don't worry about throwing. You'll have your pro day. It's not a big deal. Now you look back. If people had a crystal ball out and they would be able to anticipate what was going to come two to three weeks later, I'm sure there's a lot of prospects that probably would have revisited their decision making in terms of how they went about conquering the combine. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Now, obviously, there's no way for these guys to have anticipated what had happened. Of course, since. yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I, I agree with you. And you know, just thank goodness. And I actually, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day that was at the combine with us, works for the Giants, and I said, thank goodness that. And look, there's a guarantee that there were people in the United States infected with this thing at the end of February. There had to have been. It's impossible for it not to be. The fact that nobody at the Combine either seems to have had it or at the very least transferred it to anybody, you know, that's as big of a convention with guys in confined spaces as, as you can have. And the fact that the NFL didn't have any, you know, big time issues coming from the Combine, really, thank God. I mean, that is like a minor miracle that that did not happen. Well, certainly, you never want to see that happen, though. Not to be a Debbie Downer, John, but if nobody publicly disclosed what's going on with themselves right now, we truly don't know if anything did transpire at the Combine yeah, because there's so too. many cases across the country right now. Yeah, that, that, that is also true, but, you know, when, when you have big-name people that get it, 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 it tends to come out. It just kind of happens. Yeah. But, uh, look, the fact that we have more issues within the NFL community, you know, Sean Payton was kind of the big name that was out there. Uh, we're hearing more about the NBA because obviously those players got tested because they were in contact with players that tested positive, uh, coming back to the Jazz, and who knows who else had it. So just thank goodness it hasn't been more rampant um, in the NFL. Who knows? You know, people can have it too and not show symptoms, which we have no idea about either. So um, just thank goodness it isn't a bigger deal in the NFL right now. How do you think, Lance, what the Giants did in free agency, if at all, will now impact how they go about their draft process and really, I guess, evaluating their biggest needs. And this brings us to a question. I guess I can address it this way, um, if I can find the question here very quickly. It was from JD. With the re- recent free agent move set in place, what do you think the Giants will do uh, with the number four pick in the draft and what their biggest priorities are going to be now moving forward? Well, I say this all the time. I don't like to read so much into free agency because I'll go back to last year's draft, and I brought this up a few times, but I'll rehash it again, especially since we continue to get similar questions, and it's all fair in terms of the conversation. When you look at last year, John, they brought in Golden Tate and Marcus Golden in free agency, and then they still wound up drafting Darius Slayton and O'Shane Zimenez. So there's an example of them doubling up. Then at the same time, 
They did not address quarterback, corner, and defensive tackle in free agency. Yet in the first round, they get Daniel Jones, DeAndre Baker, and Dexter Lawrence. So if you look at Dave Gettleman, since he's still obviously running the team, I can see him doubling up with respect to maybe addressing areas that he already addressed in free agency and also going in a complete opposite way. This is what I will say, though, in terms of need. I said this entering the free agency period, and I wouldn't have changed my tune even if they would have addressed it perhaps more so in free agency based on the reports. The pass rush is still an area that the Giants need to shore up, John. And you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. We've gone over the trends from last season. You know where the sack numbers were. They were at the near bottom of the league. And Marcus Golden is still a free agent. And as it stands right now, based on the reports, other than Kyler Fackrell, we haven't really seen anybody that has come from the background of getting after the quarterback and putting pressure on the quarterback and doing it consistently. So I think that it's certainly an area that if they don't do anything moving forward here with free agency, that I would look to probably see some type of movement in the draft. Doesn't mean that it's going to be necessarily with the fourth overall pick. Let me make that clear. But I would think at some point in the draft, they would look to take somebody who either has upside or potential in addition to whoever is currently on the roster that can certainly aid in that department in the pass rush and getting after the quarterback. Yeah, you mentioned Fackrell. The Giants agreed to contract terms with free agent outside linebacker Kyler Frackwell last week, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. It's contingent upon him passing a physical. will take place at some point here in the future. Um, I still, you know, you mentioned pass rusher. The spot I still look at is offensive tackle. At least the Giants at the pass rusher spot. They have Lorenzo Carter, who started last year. Fackrell was a starter for the Packers two years ago. O'Shane Zimenez heading into year number two after getting a lot of experience. You look at that right tackle spot, however, on the offensive line, Lance, and you have Cameron Fleming, who's started more than 20 games in the league but has never really entered the season as a starter before. Nick Gates, who's started a couple of games at right tackle. You know, you don't really have somebody at that position that has significant experience starting the season as a starter at that position. So, and then throw Nate Shoulders, the fact that Nate Shoulders over 30, right? So you don't know how much longer he's going to play at a high level simply based on age. So I think adding a young offensive tackle to this mix remains a really, really important facet of what this team has to look at when it comes to the draft. Well, and also the fact that Mike Remmers, who is with the team, has now joined the Kansas City Chiefs. So he's no longer in the picture anymore. And he did, I think, a really nice job of filling in for a year yeah. and proved to be a nice, valuable signing. Remember, Remmers wasn't added till May after the draft last year, John. And he started 14 games, all 14 games that he appeared in last season. Yeah, and again, look, and that's something the Giants can do, too. Uh, they could find the guy that's on the fridge and market still in, in early summer if they don't add that player in the draft and add somebody to help and make that sort of impact. But, you know, I think it's interesting. If you look at Dave Gettleman's history, Lance, right, he doesn't really seem to care about, quote-unquote, the position or the position value. It, it doesn't seem to be really something that really impacts him and his thinking um, in terms of how he's gone about his business. If he sees a guy at number four that he thinks is going to be a, a Hall of Fame-level type player, I think he's going to pick that guy regardless of position. And he always says that he's going to go about his business in free agency so there is no gaping hole when you get to the draft where you say, oh boy, I have to get somebody at this position or we're going to be in hot water this year. So I do think when he evaluates his options at four, uh, the question, you know, need might get into it a little bit here, 
But I think he's just going to find the guy that he thinks is going to be the best player, and that's the direction he's probably going to end up going in. Well, that's more of a reason why I don't read too much into free agency for the exact rationale that you just poured out. Because if you look at his track record and you look at the fact that he's not overwhelmed necessarily by positional need and he's just going to look at the upside of the player, that means that if they addressed it in free agency, it wouldn't surprise me if they double up. It also wouldn't surprise me if the player who screams out Hall of Fame worthiness is at a position that they haven't addressed because he's done that in each of his first two drafts with the Giants. The other thing that I wanted to piggyback off of what you said, while Fleming and Nick Gates, who are certainly both options at right tackle, may not have the resume compared to some other players who have played that position in the past, this goes back to the offseason land of the unknown and the fact that Fleming's familiarity may prove to be one of his strongest assets, John. Because depending on how OTAs play out, if they actually do take place, and depending on whether or not these guys get on the field sooner rather than later, or maybe training camp is impacted in some way, Fleming at least has been with Garrett and he's been with Colombo for each of the last two seasons. So with limited reps, he knows the nuts and bolts of this offense. And That's why I just wouldn't overlook him. Not saying that you were overlooking him. I'm talking generically for the fan base and anybody saying that, well, they're definitely going to go in another direction with the offensive line. Because if there are limited opportunities to get on the field this offseason, this is where a guy like Fleming could step in with limited time on the field. And I think Garrett and Colombo, at least in the early stages of the season, would be more than confident that he could carry out what they expect since he's been with them the last two seasons and Joe Judge has been with him based on New England. Now, Joe Judge wasn't an offensive coach, so I don't know how valuable that is, but it's extremely valuable to me that Garrett and Colombo were with him the last two years and they're now implementing the same offense that he knows like the back of his hand. Well, we assume it's going to be the same offense. Uh, Remember, Joe Judge has been very, very insistent, and Jason Garrett, when I talked to him on our Huddle podcast uh, a few months back, that, you know, there's a base to the system, but then you're going to build it based on what you have. So uh, it'll be similar. I'm sure the terminology is going to be similar, which will help. But, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think Fleming would have come here, or they would have brought him here, if they did not have confidence in his ability to start if he had to. And I so, yeah, I agree with you. I think even though he's never been a starter coming into a season, as I mentioned, over 20 starts in the NFL, he started nearly two full seasons worth of games, right tackle and left tackle. So, yeah, I think they would be comfortable with him starting at that spot if they if they had to. But at the same time, in a draft that's so rich with offensive tackles, uh, I think you have to make, I don't want to say make sure, because then you act like it's a gaping hole, and I don't think that's how they're going to operate. But, look, we've seen out, let me put it this way. Lance, we've seen how difficult it's been to find good, young offensive tackles. They generally do not become available in free agency. Teams lock those guys up before they hit the open market. Jack Conklin was a notable exception to that because of an injury uh, before they had a chance to pick up his fifth-year option. So when you have an opportunity to land these guys in the draft, I think you have to, to some extent, take advantage of it. And let me just kind of give you the reason for it. You know, as I mentioned, these top offensive tackles generally got locked up. They're not going to hit free agency very often. But look this year. You have two or three starting caliber, very good, you know, top-line linebackers that hit free agency this year because teams are not prioritizing that position, just as an example. So 
it's hard to pass up a chance to get those young tackles when you can just because it's such a premium position in the league these days. Yeah, and if you can draft one and it works out, you have all of a sudden an anchor to your offensive line for potentially a decade and then some. So, you know, there's long-term value to your point. If you really hit a home run at that position, that's a sigh of relief, and then you don't have to go out and worried about spending big money in free agency. Now, granted, you're eventually going to have to reward the prospect with a hefty contract, but you know what? You'll feel good about that. Yep. Because the goal is with anybody you pick that high, especially if we're talking the fourth overall pick, and it turns out to be an offensive lineman, you want that player to warrant a second contract and then some. So I don't think that would be a bad game plan. And even if Fleming is right now on their radar as potentially the starter, you could potentially still argue Fleming is not necessarily a guy that's going to be here for five or six years. So you have to plan accordingly. If Fleming then leaves later on, who are you going to turn to at the offensive line position? Now, Nick Gates, to me, is still an intriguing player. But as we've discussed on this show many times, Nick Gates, not a high prospect. So he doesn't meet the what we're talking about in terms of the fourth overall pick. And also Nick Gates wow, the previous coaching staff. You know, Pat Shermer spoke very highly of Nick Gates multiple times. We don't know what the current coaching staff thinks of Nick Gates. So you can't just make the assumption, well, based on what the previous regime thought, that he's automatically at the same level and status in the eyes of the new coaching staff. So that's another reason why you have to, I think, take everything into consideration. And I would agree. I I think there is definitely value in going after an offensive lineman if they feel he ranks high on the board early in the first round or even in one of the higher rounds because whether the guy starts from day one or not, you always need that swing offensive lineman who you can turn to in a pinch that could fill in. And here's the other thing. With them expanding the rosters, John, remember, they're going from 53 to 55. They're going from 46 to 48 on game days, and they're allowing you to carry eight offensive linemen. So you're going to be able to not only carry the offensive linemen, you're going to be able to have them active on game days. So there's value if you have some depth at that position this year. Well, let me ask you this, and I'll get, and again, I'm not asking you to pick now because we got more than a month to get into this, but, and I want to get some questions from fans in real quick, only about eight minutes to go. If I said right now you had a chance to get a great linebacker or a great offensive tackle, both players were the same level of player, and those are the two positions that they played, which position do you think would be a more valuable position to add to your team? Oh, I think offensive linemen would be much more valuable because, once again, I think if you can get an anchor to your offensive line for the future, it helps your quarterback, it helps your run game, it helps your offense overall. I think you're maximizing the value of that pick by going offensive linemen, specifically offensive tackle. And it's not as if I don't think a linebacker like Isaiah Simmons has value. It's just that I think in the long run, I think what you're going to ask from that offensive lineman, the amount of reps they're going to be on the field, I just think there's more likely of a huge impact for that position, much more so than any linebacker. Now, here's the trick. They might get to the draft here, Lance, and the analysis might be that, yeah, we think these offensive linemen are all good, and we think they can be starters for a long time, but we think... Isaiah Simmons, and again, maybe they're not going to think this, I don't know, but we think Isaiah Simmons is going to be, you know, Brian Erlacher, that level of Hall of Fame linebacker. So then the question becomes different. Do you want the Hall of Fame linebacker that is going to be that level of a player, or do you want the 
maybe two or three Pro Bowl offensive tackle, but not Hall of Fame level player. That's when it gets a little bit tricky. Well, and also this is when you've got to look into your crystal ball and you go down the road of, well, if the offensive lineman in our eyes is not Hall of Fame worthy, can we then acquire somebody else on the open market? Do we need to pull off a trade? You know, what are the options? I think you need to ask yourself that, and you may right. not know those answers come and, April, John. Or, or Lance, by the way. you're is not going to address that position in the draft, to your point, yeah, and or, we just went over the scenarios where I would argue an offensive lineman has more value than a linebacker, okay, so then what's plan B right. to acquire that offensive lineman? Yeah, or maybe it's the second round of the draft. Do Correct, you think, which right. is always an option, too. But you, once again, you, you, you're needing to ask yourself, What's the difference between passing up the offensive lineman who may not be Hall of Fame worthy in your eyes in the first round versus waiting till the second round? How much of a drop-off is there? Yeah. No, it is. It's going to be a real interesting conversation as we try to evaluate these players going forward. All right, Lance, a couple questions real quick, and this kind of relates back to the O-line, so we'll stick with it. Uh, This from Donald. Why isn't the offensive lineman given a top priority? Nothing in free agency, not true, Cam Fleming. While needing a center, left tackle, no, Nate Solder. Right guard, no, Kevin Zeitler. Or right tackle. Um, Well, look, we talked about the right tackle position. And Donald, to me, I don't think you can say it hasn't been given a priority. Look at the size of the contract Nate Solder was given. That was a priority. Will Hernandez was a second-round pick. That was a priority. Kevin Zeitler has a very large contract. Is an excellent player. Was had in a trade for a very good player in Olivier Vernon. A priority. Now, there's questions at center because of Jalapio's injury last year and right tackle because Mike Remmers didn't return in free agency, though they did bring in Cam Fleming. So I don't think to say it hasn't been given a priority the last couple of years. Is there still work to do? Absolutely. Dave Gettleman said as much this offseason. But it's just a matter, I think, of now completing it, uh, whether you're talking about that center position as Spencer Poli the guys at somebody else. And then right tackle is a Cam Fleming. But then to your point that you made before, Lance, Fleming's on a one-year deal. Nick Gates, again, we got to see what the new coaching staff thinks of him. And then a left tackle, Nate Solder's on the other side of 30. So you have to start planning for the future at the tackle position as well. Well, here's where I think we need to separate the two. And I think you did a nice job doing that. To me, there's a difference, John, in addressing the offensive line and trying to utilize resources versus not necessarily it being misinterpreted as it's not a priority. For example, I just want to backpedal a little here. Yeah, please. I'm not saying that this is revisionist history on this show, but this came up when Jerry Reese was the general manager, John. We always had these questions and conversations, and it was always, well, you know, why haven't the Giants prioritized the offensive line? And my argument would be, the Giants did address the offensive line. Just not they, well. Correct. But there, <laughs> but see, John, there's a distinct difference between the two. No, there is a big, two. big difference. And, and this is not a yep. defense mechanism for Jerry Reese. The point is... Eric Flowers was drafted. Justin Pugh was drafted. They brought in Weston Richburg. Like, all drafted, those guys yeah. were drafted. Now, in your fans' viewpoint, you could say, well, those guys I was not fond of, and they didn't pan out, to your point, John, and some of them had to deal with the injury bug. But there's a distinct difference between the results not equating Correct. to your expectations versus the team not prioritizing it. So I would say the same thing with Dave Gettleman and the Giants right now in recent history is – 
They've brought in some offensive linemen. Mike Remmers, for example, who we just talked about. Uh, Will Hernandez was a draft pick. Nate Solder. You know, it's not as if nothing's been done. It's just a matter of, it's one thing if things have been done. It's another thing what the results are. And that's what I think is a little misleading when we have the conversation about the history of the Giants' offensive line over the last eight, nine years, if you want to go that far back. There were moves and transactions made. It's just the results were not necessarily there consistently. Yeah, I agree. I I think they certainly have addressed it, and they have to continue to, obviously. They're not done yet, but they certainly did um, look at that position and make moves there. And to your point, they had previously as well. It just, you know, didn't work out the way they wanted to. All right, I'll take one more question, Lance, before we say goodbye. And again, folks, if you go to my uh, pinned tweet on my Twitter page, there is a way to submit questions for Big Blue Kickoff via a portal, via Giants.com. You kind of put your name and a topic and stuff in there, and you can submit questions. So make sure you go and you do that. And uh, we have a running list of these questions. They they are continuing to come in. We'll keep adding them to our list. And uh, as we do, we'll keep asking them. This question from Marty, um, are there any limitations on the number of players that can be brought into training camp under the new CBA? There are a lot of players deep into the draft, as well as free agent signings and XFL players that will be available. Uh, Marty, there are going to still be limitations on the number of camp players. There always are. I don't think that's going to be much different. But to Lance's point, the practice squad is bigger. The final roster is going to be a bit bigger on game days. So there are going to be additional opportunities. I know a lot of people have asked about XFL players too. And I just want to remind people that it's not like these XFL players have kind of appeared out of thin air. These are guys that have been on NFL rosters. There's film on them. They're on practice squads. A lot of them played in games. There's college tape on them. A lot of them were drafted into the NFL. So it's not like a lot of these talent evaluators are seeing these XFL players for the first time. They know about these players. Now, maybe some of them haven't gotten an opportunity in games in the NFL, and that's why the XFL was a good opportunity for them. But these aren't a bunch of, you know, anonymous guys that the NFL's never heard of before that are going to play in these XFL games. These pro personnel staffs, lads, are very familiar with these players based on where they came from. Yeah, I mean, these guys didn't fall out of the sky and right. sign up for the XFL, John. They certainly have been out there and available, and if any NFL team wanted to put them on their roster last season, they had every right to do and every opportunity to do that. So this is just adding to the pool. It's adding to the pool of college prospects. It's adding to the pool of undrafted free agents. Basically, we're just adding to the volume. That's, to me, the essentially best way to describe it. But, you know, I don't think necessarily that there's a bunch of gems in the XFL that NFL teams, all 32 teams, have just been sleeping on and they haven't been doing their homework. You know, they've been a part of the evaluation process. It's just like anything else. The more competition that comes in via the drafted free agency, it's hard for some of these guys to stick around. So, you know, the good news for NFL teams is they'll have a lot more players to choose from when it's all said and done. But getting back to the question, I have not seen anything in the CBA, John. I don't know if you saw anything that leads me to believe that the 90-man roster limit is changing. I believe that's staying as is. So you're still going to have 90 guys on a roster. But what's changing is instead of 53, you now have 55 roster spots. And as I mentioned, on game day, active guys, 46 to 48. You brought up the practice squad. The practice squad is going to go from 10 to 12 and then eventually to 14 over the course of the CBA. So we'll eventually have 14 practice squad spots. And the other good news is something that I've been calling for. 
it's going to reflect a little bit like the NBA G League, where sort of guys have two-way contracts. They can go through waiver. They don't have to go through waivers. You can go up and down on the roster. I think it's maybe two, three times before you then would have to go through waivers. So that, I think, is going to help the continuity aspect of an NFL roster as well. So I wanted to save this little nugget for when I was on with you because I thought you would enjoy taking some cheap shots. Um, So Charlie in Portland, Maine, has been bugging us on Twitter to let him call into the show. If he thinks I'm giving him my home telephone number, he has something else coming. Yes, Because that is not happening. Uh, Not that I ever actually had my home phone actually hooked up before this, but (laughs) it's actually funny, folks. I actually had to call myself from my landline to find out what my landline phone number was because (laughs) I had never used it before. So Charlie wants us to take calls from him. No, it's not going to happen. Number two, he, you know, has an opportunity, just like everyone else, to submit a question via that online portal that I talked about, right? So I, me and Dave Dominic, who's one of our web guys, we get an email every time somebody submits a question. So I've gotten more than 100 questions probably. You go through it, you see the name, where the person's from, and then there's a little section in the form that you fill out to put your question in. And I'm going through it about a, you know, about a week ago. I'm probably four or five days into this. I've gotten so many questions. All of a sudden... I open up an email. It, all the topic says is, you know, BBK questions submitted. So I open it up, and I see Charlie. I won't give his last name because I don't, <laughs> don't want to do that. It says Charlie, and I'm like, oh, well, what, what, what dopey question is Charlie going to ask? So I scroll down. <laughs> I scroll down to the question section. And all it says is, fail to fill out form correctly. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> so he, so put he his... can't even follow the simplest directions <laughs> in terms of typing out info on a form and so submitting he, it. He got his name in there. I don't think wow, he, congratulations, Charlie. I don't think he had the location. So, so he would have gotten those free 600 points on the SAT, which is great. <laughs> but he was unable to fill out the, the part of the form that asked for a question. You know, and Charlie even has the opportunity to individually tweet at us and submit questions. So the resources are unlimited for him to get in his questions, and he still can't get that right. You know what's funny about that story? When I looked at the document, and just so that the listeners understand, all four of us share a document where all of these questions are listed. So for those of us, as we rotate in hosting, we can cross them off and address them. And I noticed that when I scrolled <laughs> down, you had one line that you're now deleting, yes, as I see I in real time, <laughs> that said, from Charlie, failed form. I was like, what did John put in there? Did he, like, do this when he was half asleep or something? Well, I didn't I know did. what that meant. Now, I, I did, sudden, but that's what it meant. Circle. Yeah, oh, my God. I, I, I sort of like, you know what, this is just, it's perfect. It, it cannot be more perfect. He lives up to his built-up resume that he's worked so hard. His reputation precedes himself, basically, is the best way to describe it. Absolutely does. Lance, good stuff, my friend. I had fun. Absolutely. Me too. All right. I'm not on the rest of the week, so the rest of the boys will take you the rest of the way on Thursday and Friday um, right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance mentioned, besides sending in that, your questions to that form uh, that is on my pinned tweet on my Twitter page, at Schmelk, uh, you could also you go to Giants.com. You can find the form, too, and send it in that way. You can also just tweet at us. Send it in at Schmelk, 
at Lance Meadow. That's M-E-D-O-W. You can make sure you send it to both of us or just send it to hashtag Giants Chat. We will check that hashtag, and we will make sure we check out your questions uh, to read on the show and answer them as we move forward. And luckily, we are going to be able to do a lot of these uh, reporters for these universities with prospects coming out in the draft. Uh, we'll have Clemson coming away, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State, Oklahoma. Uh, over the next three weeks or so, we'll be knocking out as many schools as we can, and we'll be mixing in some of your favorite draft experts along the way too. So it should be fun, Lance. As always, our getting ready for the draft is one of the funnest parts of the year as we start now trying to figure out exactly what these teams are going to do at the end of April. Absolutely, yeah. I'm looking forward to a hearing from the vast array of reporters. They've always provided great intel in previous years, and we're obviously looking to do the same this year to provide our audience with as much info as possible leading up to the draft. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. Like I should have made that the 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 Kirby Smart connection with Joe Judge before. I, I you know, I'm just I, I frankly forgot Kirby Smart came from Alabama because I'm not a big college football guy and I don't make those connections. But you always find out little nuggets like that along the way, and you're like, ah, oh, all right, that's not bad. That makes sense. Lance, good stuff. We'll talk to you down the road. Sounds good. Thanks for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. For Lance Battle, I'm John Schmelk. Uh, we'll see you the rest of the week. Two more days. We post the shows. They're recorded. Whenever they go live, I will tweet it out. So make sure you check it out on Giants.com and all your favorite podcast platforms and on the Giants mobile app. We'll see you next time.